It is the first Monday of the month, and we are responding to questions from the listening community. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 368. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. Most episodes, we have a expert guest on to help us to get more tools and resources around how we can lead. And once a month, the first Monday of every month, we open the show up to your questions. If you have a question that you'd like us to consider for a future Q&A episode, I hope you will go over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback and send it on over to us. And almost every month, Bonnie joins me to respond to questions. This month, however, ah, something different, a very special guest. So Bonnie is in the midst of getting uh, back to school and doing all kinds of faculty stuff. She also has some new responsibilities, which are exciting for her, but she's in the midst of craziness in her schedule. And so we were thinking about getting this episode recorded and Uh, I realized this would be a wonderful time to invite a guest to in to help respond to questions on her behalf. And so I am thrilled to welcome back to the show Tom Henschel, my friend and also someone who has a tremendous, tremendous breadth of leadership experience and grooms senior leaders and executive teams. Tom, if you don't know him and haven't heard him on the show before, is an internationally recognized expert in the field of workplace communications and self-presentation. He has helped thousands of leaders achieve excellence through his work as an executive coach and his top-rated podcast, The Look and Sound of Leadership, my favorite show on leadership. Tom, glad to have you back to the show. Welcome. Well, it's great to be back. I'm, you know, cautious about trying to fill Bonnie's shoes, but thanks. I'm glad to be here. I am going to try not to call you Bonnie during this episode, and <laughs> we'll, uh, we're just going to roll into it. We have so many great questions. You and I have been chatting on these questions a bit, and I can't wait to, to dive in on this. And so let's tackle the first one here from Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer wrote in and said, here's what I'm struggling with. And despite a many frustrated Google search, I've seen little on this topic. How can I avoid getting defensive when work of mine and my team is criticized and questioned? I usually try to do the quote, tell me more, unquote, learning approach, but usually the criticism is about something we're not doing enough of. And for me, it falls under the, I know this is something we're missing, but I can't do it all category. And those I have a hard time addressing and coming out feeling good about and not feeling defensive and dismissive. Do you have any advice or even understanding and fellowship that would be helpful to hear? Tom, what comes up for you when you read this from Jennifer? I love this question. There's really two questions folded in here to me. One is she's asking, how can I avoid getting defensive? And the second part is, you know, how can I just kind of manage the conversation so that I come out feeling good about it? Mm. I'd like to start with that second one, which I think has to do, Jennifer, with really how you're hearing this criticism. It sounds like what you're hearing is you're not doing enough of something. I want to suggest to you that that's an opportunity for you to negotiate priorities. So I think it would be great if you have 
a list. It might be written, but certainly in your head that's really clear of here are priorities. You're not trying to excuse what happened. You're trying to negotiate. The reason why we're not doing enough of that is because of these other things. Would you like me to reprioritize? I'm happy to reprioritize. So I think you, as opposed to hearing it as criticism, here it is an opportunity to negotiate and renegotiate what you're working on. The truth is, if somebody's quote unquote criticizing your output, this may simply be feedback of you're doing the wrong thing at the moment or somebody's changed their mind. So I want to suggest you don't take it personally and you really negotiate and advocate for your team. I don't know how that sounds to you, Dave. What do you think? Yeah, it, that came up for me listening to this as well. And I think that the the part for me I hear, and I uh, Jennifer, I've been there too with you, is how to not take it personally. Because so much of what we handle in the workplace, even though we sort of know <laughs> logically it's not about us maybe per se, it it, it's hard not to take it personally. When you hear this, Tom, like, what do you tell clients when you're, when you're helping them to navigate this around how do you set aside that what might feel like a personal affront or even an attack in some cases? And how do, you, how do you set that aside? Well, again, I think there are two ways to go at it. One of which is if this is someone who traditionally kind of reactively takes things personally, I'm going to work really hard on what it means to take things personally. And, and that's a whole conversation that I will dive into and usually will become a theme in the coaching. So I haven't yet told you how not to, but I just want to say that's one theme. The other is this idea about reprioritizing, getting clear agreements, making sure that you know what people expect from you so that, you know, you don't walk into a room and they go, why didn't you do what we wanted? And you go, I didn't know you wanted that. Right. So Mm -hmm. that's a separate issue. Going back to the first one, how to not take things personally, I think what's really important is to see if that's actually a pattern in your life. So when you're the partner that you live with left the cutting board out extended and you bumped your hip on it and you're taking it personally, like you did that to me, that's a pattern now. And I think we need to really look at that because there's a, what I would call a thinking error in taking it personally. That person actually didn't do that to you. If it's not a pattern in your life and it's just that situation, then I would say, let's really rehearse the situation. Let's talk that situation through. Maybe it's about your relationship with the person who's delivering the feedback or whatever. So I I think when it comes to taking it personally, you want to look for the pattern. Mm, Super helpful. And it actually relates to what I was thinking of when I first read this question from Jennifer is in how to process that and just kind of approach it from a mental standpoint. I I was thinking about Dale Carnegie's book, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, which for those who haven't read is a really helpful book, has been for me and for many others on just how to set aside some of the worries and concerns and challenges that many of us create in our own minds. And one of the chapters in the book, I forget the title of the chapter, but the principle that the chapter highlights is two words from Carnegie. He says, expect in gratitude. And Mm. Carnegie is really good about this in a lot of his teachings of saying, uh, you know, we should, (laughs) at least his advice is, that we should approach a lot of situations, certainly in the outside world, and even occasionally with friends and family too, of not expecting people to be gratuitous and to be 
uh, always kind, <laughs> to always be good listeners. And so many things we talk about in the show, as much as we all strive to do that for ourselves, for others, that for a lot of reasons, some good, some bad, the world does not always approach it that way. And even when they do, it doesn't always land that way for us. And so if we expect ingratitude when it happens inevitably in our lives on a daily basis, okay, well, I, I, I didn't expect people to <laughs> treat me well in this situation. I didn't expect that someone was going to take the time to step in and recognize me. And so it's for me, I found this to be helpful if it's just easier to process when that doesn't happen. It's like, okay, you know, I didn't expect this from the world today. And also, then when it does happen, the thing that I really love about this expecting gratitude concept is when when the recognition does happen, when someone does take the moment, when someone really does make the time to connect, I I find myself so much more grateful for that because in my mm. mind, I wasn't waiting for it. I wasn't expecting it. I maybe didn't even need it as much. And so just that orientation for me from Carnegie has been really helpful of reframing how I run into some of these situations of like, well, you know, uh, my boss has now asked me, <laughs> it's going a third direction this week on something. Oh, well, that's just how they are. It's not really about me. It's just you know, how how they show up in the world. And so how can I now move through this faster in order to affect change? Oh, I love that. Manage your expectations. That's yeah, great, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. So Jennifer, I hope this is helpful. Let us know what you think when you hear this and what comes up for you. I'd love to hear what you decide to do with this. So Tom, let's jump over to the next question here from Matt. We have a question from Matt and it goes like this. Do leaders with high emotional intelligence endure self-doubt? Are they more inclined to this and experience overthinking more often? I guess this is okay to an extent, but what are some of the tools to deal with this? Matt, thank you so much for this question. I have to admit, I had not thought about this specific lens that you are asking about this until reading your question of, is there a difference in how we handle doubt as we increase and improve our emotional intelligence. So I'm really curious like what Daniel Goleman would say about this. <laughs> and he's supposed to be back on the show, so we might ask him this question too. But here's what came up for me when I heard your question, Matt. We, about a week ago, I was talking with one of our academy members who is uh, several months into our year-long academy program. And he is slightly earlier in his leadership career than some of the other folks in the particular cohort that he's in. And one of the things he shared with me in talking is he said, you know, I thought, you know, as we started this experience and I, and as I got to know the other leaders in the cohort and, um, and kind of first impressions, I thought these folks have all of this figured out, know where they're going, uh, have all these tough situations kind of mapped out. They have a lot of wisdom and experience. And I feel like I'm the one who doesn't have this all figured out. And he said, now that we're a few months into this, I'm realizing that no one has this all figured out perfectly. Mm. Um, <laughs> and in fact, that there's a lot of, there's a lot of doubt amongst many leaders. It's a pattern in our group that we are all struggling with things. Yeah, they're different things. Yeah, they're different topics. People are at different phases of their career, of course. And uh, I thought about that, and I was thinking, I find that true for me too. I'm, I 
I certainly have self-doubt now, and I, I, I'd like to think of myself as a highly emotional, intelligent person, or at least uh, hopefully above average, but I, I feel like in some ways, and I'm curious how you feel about this, Tom, but I feel like in some ways I have more of it than I did earlier in my career. More of the doubt or more of the EQ? Uh, more of the doubt. I think EQ, hopefully I've gotten better with over time. I do think I've gotten better with where I find I have a little more doubt is earlier in my career, I got a lot of feedback. I got a lot of data points. And I've noticed both for me and for the people that I work with, that the more senior you are in your career and your experience, the less forthcoming people are with useful feedback. So I find today, I really have to go digging for feedback and to hear things that I think are like actionable and meaningful. Whereas early in my career, those things came to me very quickly because there was someone who was managing me very closely. There was a bunch of people giving me feedback. There was a, you know, I was in a training process. And now I find that actually a lot more challenging to get that feedback. So in some ways, I find that I entertain a little more doubt than I used to. So one resource that I think would be helpful for you, Matt, as far as thinking through what are some tools to do this? I love the question that Sheila Heen shared when she was on episode 143. Sheila is one of the original authors of the book, Difficult Conversations. And she has a more recent book out with one of her collaborators called Thanks for the Feedback. And a question that she suggests in helping to illuminate more of what people are thinking and saying about you so you eliminate some of that self-doubt is Rather than just asking people for feedback, which is what a lot of us tend to do, she says, ask this question, what's one thing you see me doing or failing to do that holds me back? And because you're asking for one thing, you tend to get something that is uh, hopefully a little bit more useful. And I've, I've definitely found over the last few years of using that question from her that it doesn't always elicit different feedback, but a lot of the times I will hear one thing that is useful in some way. And it helps me to combat some of that self-doubt that I have in my own work. So I'm, I'm curious, Tom, what comes up for you on this, both with the people you work with and just your own experience? Well, I love the question from Matt. It's really interesting to wonder whether emotionally intelligent people endure self-doubt. My answer to that is, of course. I mean, who doesn't? That said, I, I want to do a little quick digression into emotional intelligence as I talk about it with my clients. So I, I tell people emotional intelligence has two parts to it. The first part is about you managing yourself in relationship to yourself. And the second part is you managing yourself in relationship to others. I think what Matt is writing about is this first part, self-doubt, overthinking, those are all us in relationship to ourselves. People who I think are high in emotional intelligence are able to find, I think, the difference between self-doubt, which may not be productive, versus inquiry. I have taken a class from a woman named Jennifer Garvey Berger. Jennifer is a master at uh, coaching. She teaches this thing called growth edge coaching. In fact, Mindy Dana was one of your guests, Dave, many yeah, years ago. And yeah. she talked about the adult development theory. And a lot of that comes from Jennifer's work. Jennifer teaches a question that I find profound. 
she asks you to do all this work and make decisions about certain things that you as a coach are hearing. And then she asks you to ask yourself, how might I be wrong about this? And what Jennifer and her people, her company is called Cultivating Leadership. What the Cultivating Leadership people do profoundly is when they get to the end of any conclusion, they then start asking, how might we be wrong about this? See, I, the reason I'm telling you this, Matt, is I don't think that's self-doubt. I think that's inquiry. And I think that's productive. I hear self-doubt as a kind of worry. And I hear worry as unproductive. So one of the questions I might ask you, and I think this is an EQ skill, is, is what I'm doing right now helping me? Is this helpful? Because if it's not helpful, move on. And that is a skill, that's part of the EQ skill of managing yourself in relationship to yourself. I love the books that you talked about, Dave, Sheila Heen's books. Those are both great. I adore them. The book that I give people when we're focusing specifically on EQ and trying to grow EQ skills is a book called The EQ Edge. And EQ, for everybody, we, I think we jumped forward a little bit without saying this. EQ simply stands for emotional intelligence, like IQ stands for intellectual quotient. The EQ Edge, the two authors are Stein and Book. And the reason I like this, there's so many books you could choose from about EQ, but the reason I like this is it's got a lot of actual exercises for you to do. So if this is a concern for you, Matt, around overthinking, self-doubt, getting stuck in that, EQ Edge is going to have some things to some exercises for you to really engage yourself with and help you minimize that because it doesn't, the way you write about it doesn't sound productive. Thank you so much for the question, Matt. Let's tackle our next question here from Lillian. Lillian writes in and says, my question is on overcoming a challenge of being poorly delegated to by my direct boss and sometimes the head boss with a lack of expectations outlined. I also somewhat sense that I am treated like my younger self since we worked together previously. I'd listened to your delegation podcast episode and appreciate the amount of prep work required. Knowing this information, I can't help but be critical of what I observed at my own work. How do you reconcile a sense of ambition and at times frustration with the missed opportunities of better managing staff, especially when it directly impacts me? How can I influence how work is being delegated to me? can I create some sort of control around it? Tom, what do you think? Oh, I would love to be in conversation with you, Lillian. Oh, there's so many strands to pick up here. There's so many ideas. I'd like to start with this idea. It's an echo of what we talked about with Jennifer. You, Lillian, talked about a lack of expectations outlined. Then I want to say your job is to get the expectations outlined. Don't, don't go forward without an agreement. Make sure you understand what's being asked of you. If you believe someone is, quote, de delegating poorly to you, well, you have part of that. You, you're 50% of that conversation. So don't put it all on them. You need to say, uh, help me understand, or is this what you're looking for? Or if I bring you this, will that fill what you want? Or, by the way, go and start the project and then come back and ask, ask for clarification. I just want to say, Lillian, I think you have an opportunity to not be your younger self here and show them that you are capable of thinking about your work strategically, thinking about your work proactively, asking for clarification and getting clear agreements. 
The second piece that I just want to pick up on, and this is, I'll be brief about this, is you've written a couple times about what people think about you, like that you think they might be treating you as your younger self. If you and I were talking about this, Lillian, I would say to you, what if they are? They may be. You may be right on. They may be thinking about you as your younger self. That's not actually unusual. That happens all the time. And what if they are? How do you want to show up? That's really the only thing you can control. I want to suggest to you that your focus shift from what they're doing wrong to how you want to show up. Why would you like to show up? And if you were going to show up as your older, more mature self, what would that look like? Mm. Yeah, your your thinking's similar to mine on this, Tom. Uh, Lillian mentioned the episode on delegation. That's episode 117. And Lillian, that is that is the ideal. <laughs> of course, the ideal doesn't happen in a lot of cases. And even if we're doing that well ourselves in our own delegation, um, it, it's been pretty rare in my career, in the people I've worked with over the years, that I feel like I've gotten a lot of clarity exactly on what I need every time something was delegated. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm with Tom of, if it's not clear, I think almost in every situation, we have an obligation to speak up and to clarify. And the three lenses that I think about those things are on delegation is quality, time, and budget. Is if, mm. if those three things aren't clear or one of them is not clear, I think we owe it to ourselves and our people who are delegating to us and our organizations to get clarity on those and to ask. And I think in most situations, if we ask for clarity on what is the deadline for this, what is the uh, you know what are the metrics we need to hit? What budget and resources do I have to work with? I, I think most of the time we're going to get some additional clarity on that. Or if we don't, we'll get clarity on who we can go find that information from. But even then, even in a case where you can't get or don't or don't have a lot of clarity on that, or the person delegating it doesn't have clarity on it, I think that you can also do a you know here's what I intend to do. Or, or here's what mm-hmm. I've heard on these three things. I've heard you say this and this and this. And what I didn't hear is this. So I'm going to aim for this time frame. I'm going to aim for this standard based on what I know. I'm going to aim for this deadline. And here's what I intend to do to steal the language from David Marquet when he was on the show. And go and to move on that. And uh, if something's wrong, <laughs> someone will stop you <laughs> most of the time. But uh, for me, I, I want... When I delegate something to someone, and even sometimes when I do a poor job of it, I would love to see them run with it and come back and ask me questions and to just take ownership over something. So one and one of the things you mentioned here is being able to potentially do some other things. And I get the sense that you'd like to do some higher level things and maybe be involved in some more strategic conversation. So one tactic to get the higher level stuff is to really do a great job of blowing the lower level stuff out of the water, right? So if if you're getting the the lower level stuff, the busy work, is to do those things really well. Hit those metrics, <laughs> quality, time, budget, whatever they are. Not only hit them, but exceed them. And then the other way, I think that comes up for me is, you know, hit, you know, if you've got a bunch of those expectations of lower stuff and you're not getting to do the higher level stuff you'd like to do, is so get the lower stuff done, hit the expectations, but then go solve an entirely new problem too. 
So find out what the problem is in the organization that's not being addressed and start working on that proactively and do the, here's what I intend to do around that. And that then demonstrates your initiative to the organization of that you're willing to see and identify problems and put a framework around them, propose a solution and actually, and actually execute on it. And that, that's something for me is, is pretty, pretty rare to see in action. I know I was really bad at this early in my career. I don't know if I ever shared this with you, Tom, but I got feedback a bunch the first few years of my career of like, I didn't take initiative. And now looking back, I realized like, Mm. whoa, I missed so many opportunities of things I could have moved on. And I realized how much I held back on just waiting for someone to tell me what to do. And I think for a lot of people, that is fairly common. And the people who are able to separate themselves from that and really take leadership and say, hey, I see a problem and I'm going to work to address it. For me, those are the people that really separate themselves and the the people early on in my career that I noticed separated themselves of being really great leaders and really influential in the organization were doing that pretty consistently. So, Lynn, I hope I hope this is helpful to you. I'm anxious to hear what you decide to do with this once you hear this. And so we have a question also here from Amber. Amber wrote, I was wondering if you could recommend any reading lists for organizational change fatigue. Our organization, like many others in the Australian higher education sector, has been undergoing organizational restructure for almost two years with more to come. The change to date has yet to provide the promised improvements and staff are exhausted by the increased workload, ongoing change, and disruption as staff leave and corporate knowledge is lost. This has been further exacerbated by the turnover in new staff. Any resources you can suggest would be greatly appreciated. Oh, Amber, tough situation. And I am not at all uh, tied into what's happening in the Australian higher education sector. Uh, it sounds like a lot of large changes in the industry, and you're, you're dealing with the results of those changes happening. So there probably is a book out there on this, and I sort of feel like I've seen books and articles on this of like how to deal with change fatigue, but I am, I am kind of drawing a blank on a specific book that I can recommend on what exactly you're asking. What I am thinking about is what are some models for leading change. But before I mention those, I, I'm thinking about what Stephen Covey said in his work of the distinction between our circle of concern and our circle of influence. Uh, Covey said our circle of concern is kind of all the things that we're aware of in the world and in our professional space that we have some interest in, in in whatever way, but we don't necessarily have influence to change. And so these are two, if you can imagine, two concentric circles. This circle of of concern is the larger one. And then there's a much smaller circle inside that that is our circle of influence. And that is the place that not only are we concerned about and are we aware of, but also we have the potential to do something about through our actions and behaviors and through the people that we have the privilege to influence um, in our organizations and, and certainly in our families. And so the, the thing that Covey said around this is spend as much time as you can in the circle of influence. And if you spend more time in your circle of influence 
and not focus so much on the problems of the world and the politics and the news and all that. If you can spend more time in your circle of influence, you can actually grow your circle of influence. So this may seem like a bit of strange thinking for me, Amber, but I would actually suggest around this of, could you lower your expectations a bit overall for what's happening in the organization? And I presume potentially here the university or whatever larger entity that you're referring to, but could you raise them within your own circle of influence? And I say this, and I know how hard this is of going through a major industry change or a cultural change in any organization or industry of setting aside all the craziness, the bad behavior, all the things that happen around that and being able to focus on what are the things that you really truly have control over. So for the circle of concern, the bigger stuff, the the stuff that's you know the lar- larger amount of things out there, could you lower your expectations a bit on being able to affect those? And instead, look at where you have influence within the people that you have the, the privileged influence. And, and maybe, that's, maybe that's you. Maybe hmm. it's you and two or three other people. Maybe it's you and your family. For a lot of us, that's a pretty small circle. And there, in that place, how can you give people ownership? And I'm, I'm thinking specifically in the professional space. I, I love speaking of, uh, we mentioned David Marquet a bit ago when he was on the show talking about employee engagement. One of the, the, one of the things he said is, you know, if you really want to engage people, give them ownership and everything else around engagement is just window dressing, right? Mm-hmm. So g- give people ownership. So within your circle of influence, what could you give people ownership over? Maybe it's just your team. Maybe it's just your department. If you're, maybe you're a faculty member of the universe, I don't know, cause we don't know the context, but maybe it's just within your classroom. What do you have influence on that you could give some ownership to people on? And if not the rest of the department, the organization, the industry, at least there, at least there, could you affect some change and give people the opportunity to see that I can take an action and some good come out of it? And if you can do that for people, for yourself, that's huge. That's huge on change. Now, to answer your question on what were the book, what are the books or resources? Um, if you do have the privilege to influence in a in a more formal way, and if you have the position and the the opportunity to influence more formally, two books that I love around this are Leading Change by John Cotter, or his companion book to it is um, Our Iceberg Is Melting. Uh, that's the fable version. Both of them are just wonderful works around thinking about how to navigate change in an organization. Uh, Many of our academy members utilize those books when thinking about change. And if you're not familiar with those models, Amber, I think those those will be helpful as just far as thinking about the complexity of it. The other book that I love on this and is coming up for me is uh, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. And just the, the, the real, the why behind what we're doing. And I think that's a helpful book for me of thinking about getting and staying into that circle of influence a bit. I certainly thought of our iceberg is melting. That was the first thought I had. And then Amber, I had a really odd thought. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm going to recommend a book that I actually am not a big fan of, but so many people have been that I think this is one of those things where like you see a movie and you go, I don't get it, but like everybody else loved it. There was a book many years ago by Spencer Johnson and Ken Blanchard called Who Moved My Cheese? Oh, yeah. 
And it really was about people who were demotivated and just kind of freaked out and grieving about change. And that's that idea of fatigue. When I saw that word, that was really what came to me. Now, again, I didn't find the book terribly helpful, but what I did know was that groups read it together and talked about it, and they got real value from it. They were comforted by it, and they found things to take action on. So I don't know if you could do a little book club or just get that book. It's really thin. It's a thin little book. Get, you know, four copies of that book and put them on your desk and give them out to people or whatever. It might be something to at least get people thinking and talking. Thank you so much, Tom, for stepping in for Bonnie. Bonnie will be back for next month's Q&A show. And Tom's going to be back soon, too. We're putting together an episode on how to facilitate and plan an offsite for your team. Tom has a ton of expertise in that as well, so be watching for that in the coming months. And uh, speaking of things that are coming up, a week from today is the official opening of the Coaching for Leaders Academy applications, at least, to the Academy. That is going to be this coming Monday, September 10th. 2018. If you have been hearing about the Academy, wondering about it, maybe thinking about applying, go over to coachingforleaders.com slash Academy. There'll be a bunch of information up there this week, and then applications officially open Monday, September 10th. So watch for that. And while you're online, I hope you'll check out some of the past episodes that relate directly to today's conversation. One of them that came up in the response to a question about delegation is episode number 117, The Seven Steps You Follow to Delegate Work. In that episode, I walk through seven key steps that managers should ideally follow in order to delegate effectively. If you are someone that is wondering, how do I get better at delegating? What are the big things that I should be doing in order to ensure clear communication, expectation setting, the number of things we talked about in this episode? 117 is the episode to definitely check out. It's also a great episode for new leaders if you know someone who is working on that skill set right now. Also helpful to you, episode 143, I mentioned earlier Sheila Heen's advice, and that episode is titled How to Get Way Better at Accepting Feedback. She was my guest on that episode, talked through a number of strategies from her most recent book. Check that out if you'd like to get better at doing that. Also, a value episode 223, we talked earlier about Simon Sinek. On that episode, we had him on talking about how to start with why, of course, uh, the focus of probably his best-selling book, episode 223, is the one for that. Also, we mentioned David Marquet, turn followers into leaders. If you are looking for ways to give others more ownership and encourage ownership and engagement in your organization, I think episode 241 is a must-listen for you. And then finally, we mentioned Mindy Dana earlier, a friend and colleagues of Tom's, and that is episode 273, Essentials of Adult Development. Mindy and I talk through some of the key things to be mindful of when working with people on the stages of adult development, how you can recognize those, and what you can do to think about different ways to lead and communicate uh, based on where people are in those stages of development. So again, that's episode 273. You can access all of those past episodes by going over to the coachingforleaders.com website and setting up your free membership, and you can search by topic for everything that has been mentioned here. Also, you'll get immediate 
access to all the benefits that are in the free membership, including my free 10-day audio course titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. Tom is one of the folks that we feature in those that 10-day course, uh, his lessons on coaching, as well as many other experts. In addition, you also get access to the weekly leadership guide that comes every Wednesday. Hey, a quick note on this. We noticed recently that one of the buttons on the website wasn't working well to activate the free membership. You could still do it, but it wasn't as obvious as I was hoping it would be. So if you ran into that issue recently, I'm so sorry. It has now been corrected. So if you ran into that, go over to coachingforleaders.com and you'll be able to activate your free membership and get access to all those things. Now, a couple things coming up in the next week, in addition to Academy applications. The next Saturday cast is coming this weekend, this coming Saturday. It's all about how to move from theory to practice. My guest is Steve Schrader. He is one of our Academy members. He's going to be talking to us about how he's taken some of the theory um, and put it into practice from some of the books and models he's heard here on the podcast and also some of the things that he's been doing as part of the Academy. So check that out coming on Saturday. Also next Monday, Russ Laraway is my guest. He is going to be teaching us three steps to great career conversations. You're not going to want to miss that. If you have ever wondered how to have conversations about an employee's career, that is absolutely the episode to listen to next Monday. He is the co-founder of Candor Inc. with Kim Scott of Radical Candor, who was on the show previously. So check that out this coming next Monday. Have a great week. I'm out of here and see you on Saturday for the next Saturday cast. Take care, everyone. <laughs>